The first Samuel chapter 17, we're in a series, and we've been on a series on sound doctrine. And all of a sudden I've seen a subcategory because part of sound doctrine is raising children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But more importantly, Paul had declared that Titus had been made wise to salvation according to, his, to the scriptures. So his mother and his grandmother had taught young Timothy the scriptures, him later coming to know Christ. And that is sound doctrine. And just because we're Christians, we should not be ashamed of our heritage. We're Christians and Christian parents. We should not back away or shy away from that. You know, you hear people say, well, I just don't teach my children anything. I want them to make up their own mind. That is a lie of the devil. That's a lie of the devil. If you think being a passive parent works... You've got another thing coming. I got news for you. The devil has a program. He has a teaching curriculum for your kids. Uh, and if you stumble, he'll be right there. And so the devil's not passive when it comes to teaching and training and recruiting. We should not be passive, uh, and especially with our own children. Uh, we should love our children, and we should love them enough to try to teach them and to train them. But more importantly, now I'm preaching this series of messages from a pastor's perspective. So I get to look at a lot of lives after they've run aground. And I've spent a lot of time meditating on that and seeing children that have gone astray. And, and let, me, let me say this, you could raise your children 100% right and they can still go astray. All right, I, I want you to know that. You could do everything right and they can still go out and do wrong. Uh, Cain and Abel were in a perfect environment. They didn't have TV to corrupt them. They didn't have video games uh, then to corrupt them. They didn't have, they was perfect. And yet Cain went astray. And the Bible said he decided to choose the, the, the side of the wicked one, the devil. So I, I, I'm not trying to preach this series of messages like if you don't do it 100% perfect, then you are a failure. You can do it 100% right and they still turn out wrong. Because what you don't understand is children at one point or another in their life, they're going to have to take a test. And that's going to take, it's, it's real easy for children to talk a big and a good talk while they're living at home in the nest. And, and I, see, I got seven brothers and sisters and we could all talk that talk. And boy, we just, we knew just what mom and dad wanted to hear out of us when we left home. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we would never, never stray from church. We'd never not go to church and then the test come when you were officially out on your own and you have choices to make. I'd like to say I'd always made the right choice, but I was young once and loved to hunt and fish. I missed a lot of Sundays <laughs> to hunting and fishing. That's not right. You say, oh, I can't believe you. I didn't think you'd ever missed any church. Well, yeah, I was 18, 19, 20 once. 21, left home and was on my own and hunting season come around. Boy, ooh, I'd get that bug. 
And so, yeah, it's don't always make the right choices, but thank God uh, the Lord had grace on me. But I want to preach these things from the standpoint of maybe helping some of you that still have some hope. Now, if you sit in here with children that are in their teens, you're just probably going to have to ride it out. What I'm learning from the Bible and what I have learned from working with people and what I've learned from reading is by the time that a child is about six, seven years old, their minds, they're set. It's set. And it's nigh to impossible to change that set. And what I mean by that, it'll be the little things. It's the, folks, it's the little stuff. It's the little stuff that you would never think would be really that important that are big, important things that set the right type of thinking in a child's mind. And I want to look at that. Last week, we talked about young Samuel. Remember that? And we've seen how Samuel's mother was a praying mother, a church-going mother, but she trained Samuel to have an outward focus. Remember? Had an outward focus. He was always listening for his name to be called. But then we found that he had been taught to have an outward service. He knew that he was there for a particular purpose and that he was going to serve others. Well, that was great because she said she was going to lend him to the Lord. We could preach that. That just hit me as like a, one of them light bulbs. Did you see the light bulb go on? Because the third message in this series is teaching your children how to lend to the Lord. I was wanting to use the little boy that used his lunch. But Samuel would be a good example because his mother taught him to have that outward service. But then we learned that Samuel's mother, Hannah, taught Samuel to have an outward conversation. Now, I do find that one of the things that are lacking in children as they grow up, and, and when you allow your child not to answer for what it has done or not to engage in conversation at home and give you that silent treatment, that is something that sets in their little mind. And when you let them get away with it, they think that is what we call a stronghold. As people get older, they have what we call mental strongholds. And when they're up against it, you'll see that they will go there mentally and put in that stronghold. And that thing's nigh unto impossible to break through. The Bible says that evil and vain imaginations are like mental strongholds. And when you allow a child not to answer or won't make them or spend the time to teach them to answer, it sets them. And if you allow that to go on to their six, seven years old, by the time they become adults and they get married, one of the biggest things I find that are problems in, in marriages is no communication. No communication. You know where that stems from? That stems from a mommy and a daddy not teaching the child that communication is different than dictation. Communication is a two-way street. Where you encode, that's the speaking, encode, and then the child decodes and then encodes back. That's called communication, and it's two-way. And we fail our children when we will not teach them and train them to communicate, to have an outward communication. It's even worse today because of smartphone technology. Boy, I'm telling you, some, some kids and some people are monsters behind a keyboard. Man, they can text well. They can write well. But they can't talk and put four words together to make any sense. 
I'm also noticing in people, and of course I was an employer at one time, my soul to get somebody to communicate. And they stand there looking at you with a dumb look on their face. They can't answer for themselves. Here they are, a 30-year-old person. They can't get to work on time. They won't, don't want to work. There's always something wrong. And then they can't even stand there and communicate. At one time, at one time I had to ask that guy, how many times your dad died in one week? Three or four times. Then the baby needed medicine. And you know me, Dennis is already laughing. You know what I did, I gave him money, trying to help him out. And come Friday, he wanted that paycheck too, but he hadn't really worked, he owed me. Oh, that's a rough one. You say, what's that come from? Lack of training. The Bible is clear, it says, train up a child in the way that he should go. When he is old, he'll not depart from it. Training is different than education. We as parents want to put our children in front of smart devices and think that's going to educate them. They need training. That means hands-on working with. Oh, and that's hard work. That's wall climbing work. (laughs) That's I can't stay in the house too long because I'll go crazy work. Because men were not designed to do stuff like that. A woman's job is... I'm glad I'm not a woman. I'm glad I'm a man. I couldn't do it. Can't do it. And God knew what he was doing. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 17, I want to talk a little while, preach, if God will allow me, on teaching children how to lean on God. Now, that's important because you as mommies and daddies and mimis and papas are not always going to be around You're not always going to be there to help them. And they need to learn at a young age how to lean on God. And if you don't teach them that, they're going to fall down somewhere in their adult life. Now let's read some scripture. I did want to read a verse. My soul, I just... just, Moved my place. It was a verse I wanted. And why is it deals with raising children? And it deals with uh, Proverbs 15, 5. A fool despiseth his father's instruction. This is what the Bible says. A fool will despise a father's instruction. But watch what this says. But he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Now, this will be one of the words that we, I might talk about today called prudence. Prudent, I think you've even got it uh, uh, defined somewhere down in, in here in this message. And if God brings it back across my, uh, my palate, I'll talk about it. Uh, prudent means being able to see things before they happen. If you've been around me, you might have uh, heard me say, you need to learn how to to anticipate. I've been working with Christopher a little bit uh, on when we have the penny march. As soon as he hears that penny march, that music should be playing. I don't want to sit here for three minutes while we're trying to take up penny march with no music. You say, what is that? I'm trying to teach him how to be prudent. Learn to anticipate and see, aha, we're going to do penny march. And I know about when penny march happens, I need to have a song queued up and ready and sit on pause. So all I got to do is unpause it and it's ready to go. That's called prudence. That's something that must be taught. All right. First Samuel chapter 17. I want to read down about 
verse 33. I want to start and verse 32, actually. Let's read a few verses of Scripture. Take too long to read the whole thing, but I think we can get what we need out of this portion of Scripture where David leans on God and gets a great victory. He says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now this is a time when David and Goliath, this is the story, this is where it's at. David, according to theologians, is about 15 to 16 years old, depending on who you talk to. David is the youngest. He is the eighth son of Jesse. David's great-grandmother was Ruth, the Moabitess. Remember Ruth, that grandmother there, she leaned on God. She had told uh, uh, Naomi that Naomi's God was going to be her God. And where she lived, she was going to live. And she took a great leap of faith going back into Bethlehem, Judah. And then marrying Boaz and raising a child, having a child which was Obed, I think, and Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. Quite a biblical heritage there. Quite a godly heritage. And so this is the account of that. Remember when Goliath come out, he's a nine foot six giant. According to theologians, he might have been a little taller. Uh, maybe not as tall as nine foot six, but as I had been taught from a child in Sunday school class, Goliath was about nine foot six. And so he was quite a man. And he was a man of war from his youth. He was, for all practical purposes, he was a hybrid from a fallen angel and a human. I'm not going to get into all that, but he was a giant. However you want to view that, this was a big dude. And he was on the side of the devil. And so the whole army was afraid. He had been challenging the army for 40 days and 40 nights and says, choose you a man and bring him out here and let him fight with me. If he can whoop me, then we'll serve you. But if I can whoop him, you're serving us. Boy, they were all afraid. And then all of a sudden, this little shepherd boy had been out on the backside there taking care of his father's sheep. He come in there, and so he's looking at this, and he says, look, is there not a cause? Why are we allowing? He had his three older brothers there, Eliab, and he said Shammah, and Abinadab, I think, was there. And he said, uh, why have you been allowing this? Could you imagine David, the youngest brother? It'd be like my brother Titus. He's the youngest in the family. Look at me and say, why are you afraid? Why are you big chicken? <laughs> and I'd say, well, I'll tell you what, Titus, you see that dude? He's nine foot six. And he, and he ain't fat. He's in shape. Look at me. <laughs> I, I kind of like donuts and I, I can't go past a donut store anymore. Uh, but I, I can't do it. That's how David felt with Eliab, like, what's going on here? You can whoop him. Go out there and get him. And Eliab said, you know what? <laughs> what are you doing here anyway? Ain't you supposed to be taking care of the sheep? And David said, well, I've been sent here. There's a cause. So David comes before the king. He said, somebody needs to take care of this. Are we not on God's side? Good question. And so he says, look. Let no man's heart fail. This is a 16-year-old young man looking at a king, looking at this army and says, you don't need to let your heart fail you. He said, I'll go out and fight him. 
And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there come a lion and a bear, and he took a lamb out of the flock, and I went out after him and smote him, and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Let's read a couple more verses. And Saul armed David with his armor. And he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor. And he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine, let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you now. Lord, help us today. Help us to learn something from the Word of God that will help us be better parents, better people, better teachers. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So as we've been preaching our way through this, We've been seeing the importance of training children, and the Bible gives us that command. He says, you train them up in the way they should go. And the older I get, the more I understand. It'll be the little things that you're doing. Children learn over 80% of what they learn through observation. Between the ages of one and six, matter of fact, they're learning now that if you're going to teach a child a second language, you don't teach them when they're in high school, you teach them before they turn eight and nine. You can teach them because that mind is like an open sponge and it will literally soak up everything that comes into and learn so much through observation. And so it's so important that we train our children right. And I said this last week, in anything that you do in life, training is needed. Before a person is fit to fulfill his or her duties, they must be trained. Children, if they're ever to take their place as responsible adults in society, they must be properly trained. If they are to ever take their place in God's service, they must first be trained in home service. Now there's something there, and I'm going to key in on that in the life of David. You see, if we want our children to take care for the environment that they live in, they need to care for the things of others. To care for the things of God, they must first be trained to care for the things at home. You know, come on. If you can't keep your room clean, I don't want to hear how you love the environment. Really, really. And we got a generation we've raised up, we've not taught them anything. 
but yet they got all the answers for the world and it's a bunch of nonsense. We cannot expect children to grow up to be responsible adults if we don't make them responsible children. Responsible children become responsible adults. I'm going somewhere with this. David did not just wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to be a mighty man before the Lord. It doesn't work that way, folks. If you don't train, I mean, it'd be like a man trying to think he's going to get into the ring with Mike Tyson and he's never been in a workout gym. He's never hit a punching bag. He's never been trained by a boxer who knows how to box and fight and in that case, defend yourself. You're not going to get in that ring and whoop old Mike Tyson. Matter of fact, you're not going to get in the ring and whoop anybody without training. There are a lot of people that think they can, but they can't. It takes training. Children should be taught to care for their rooms. I'm just throwing some things in there. They should be taught that they have a part of responsibility in the family. David was the youngest of eight sons, yet he had a part to play in keeping the father's sheep. That shows up time and time again. If we was to back up to verse 18 of chapter 16, he says, Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and plain, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent. There's our word. Prudent. They're talking about this 15-year-old in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. How'd you like that to be 15 years old? And people say that about you. This was quite a young man. But let me tell you something. He wasn't an exception to the rule. He had been trained to be quite a young man. And his three older brothers had received the same training, and it should have been one of them that went out there and killed the giant. It should have been. Here's what God had to say about David. He says, Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coats. There's something about taking care of animals and being a shepherd, making you a better person for life. And I thought this, that, uh, you know, sometimes parents like their children to maybe to try to take care of an animal and they get them an animal and make sure that they take. That's probably not a bad idea. I was thinking about this. I shared this with Will. Well, I do a lot of reading. <laughs> and, and so one of the things I'd read was about serial killers. And they says, without exception, all serial killers were found to have been cruel to animals in their childhood. There's something to that. So it's good to teach children to care for animals or uh, 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 other livestock. And why is it teaches them to care, to be gentle, to care for something other than themselves. And we see this having been, uh, went on in the life of David. And so I'm going to give you three quick points. Number one, I seen that David, his father Jesse, had enrolled David in what I call the classroom of commission. The classroom of commission. You see, he kept his father's sheep. He had been given responsibilities 
around the house. Now the Bible says this when it comes to the things that we do. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And when I'm eating, I'm doing it for the glory of God. So I'm going to do my best. <laughs> and when I drink coffee, I drink coffee for the glory of God. And I want to do my best. <laughs> I drink a lot of coffees. <laughs> oh, it's good. But this is what Jesse had instilled into the mind and it's in the mind of David that whatever you do, you're going to keep these sheep. And I think his older brothers kind of looked down on that job because Eliab said later, he says, why aren't you out there keeping those few sheep? I don't think Eliab liked sheep. I don't think he liked livestock. And I know the Lord didn't really favor him. He says his heart wasn't right. But old David had learned to take some responsibility. His father had enrolled him in the classroom of commission. And with that, he gave him a, what we call a biblical worldview. If he said it once, he said it about five or six times that this man, this Philistine, was defying the armies of the living God. And so he looked at the nation of Israel. He looked at himself and says that God owns me. God owns everything and I'm a child of God. That's called a biblical worldview. And by the way, don't let the world try to put a different worldview in the minds of your children because they sure will. David wasn't running around debating evolution. He knew that God created everything. That's an important element in the development of the mind of a child is the biblical worldview. And not only did God create everything, it was created for a purpose. David had been born and created by God for a purpose. You in here this morning have a purpose. You children in here this morning are not accidents, are not here by chance, but you have a purpose. And you parents and your grandparents should be training and working with your children to try to help them discover that purpose. But until they find out that purpose that God has created them for, you need to give them some purpose in the home by enrolling them in the school of commission, which means giving them some responsibility and holding their feet to the fire to make sure that it's done right. One of my jobs at home was to mow the grass. And my father... Gave me a push mower. I didn't know they made riding lawn mowers until I got older. <laughs> and I push mowed. And my father would go out and check the yard. And if I'd missed something, he'd have me mow it again. And if I missed it, he'd have me do it again until it was right. And he was teaching me that in anything I did, I need to do to the glory of God and do it to the best of my ability. And always be looking at what I was doing and seeing where I could do it better. That's an important lesson in life. To know that you have a purpose. God owns everything. But in that, then you learn that there will be those that will defy God. And there is good and evil. But then he began to teach David biblical stewardship. 
He kept his father's sheep. Stewardship means that it's not yours. And parents, let me put it to you like this. Let me help you with your children and their bedrooms. And I, I made this mistake growing up. I always told my kids, that's your room. Don't tell that to them. And here's why. They immediately get in their mind, then I'll do what I want with what's mine. It's my room. No, you tell that child, that's your room. You're paying the bills there at the house. You're paying the electric. You're paying the water. And it's your house. And you're allowing them to use it. And while they're using it, they're going to have to be a good steward of what you've allowed them to use. And that's going to teach them to appreciate and to respect the property of others. It's something that's little, that's insignificant. But I'm telling you at 52 years old and looking and watching and dealing with a lot of train wrecks, that's a simple thing that could have helped change the track of a lot of people. It ain't yours. It's, your, it's yours to steward. So get in there, get it clean, and you better clean it to my definition of clean. I remember that lesson from my father. My father, I had a bathroom in one of my rooms, and my father, I cleaned it, you know, like a boy would clean. <laughs> my father come in there, and he says... <laughs> I won't tell you everything he told me to do. He'll probably, mom probably be watching this, and dad will. He didn't use bad words. I'm not talking about that. Dad said, if you can't eat off that toilet, then it ain't clean. And if you won't get it clean, I'll make you use your toothbrush to clean that toilet. And so I went and cleaned it again. And then I found out my dad could get down on his knees and he looked in behind the toilet. Then he looked underneath the caps. <sighs> dad didn't want to see no rust stains around those bolts that hold that toilet down either. He didn't want to see no nasty nowhere. He taught me the definition of clean. He had enrolled me <laughs> against my wishes <laughs> in the school of commission and then held my feet to the fire. My soul, we need that. He, Jesse taught David personal responsibility. He taught him about property rights. Property are the responsibilities of the property owner. He was a keeper of the sheep. That's what a keeper means. You have a responsibility and there's some property rights. He taught him the value of property. Don't lose any. Lambs are important. And if it's taken, take it back. See, we got this thing going on in our country today that property values, you shouldn't defend or protect your property. I'm telling you, there's a lot of changes going on. And that's not right. Property rights. Everything in our laws hinge on the ownership of property. And if you don't have rights to the property that you own, then you can throw the rest of the Constitution out. You got to be seeing and looking. There's more than one way to skin a cat. And the devil knows that he can't just march into this country with his 
horns and pitchforks and tell you he wants you to be communist. So they're going to have to attack it another way. And one of the ways we found they've been attacking it in these last 18 months is property rights don't matter. Let them take it if they want it. Maybe they need it. Then they can ask for it. That's what I was telling the neighbors back here. You know, if somebody just knock on my door, they want something, they see something laying around, just ask me for it. But don't just help yourself to it. See, David had been taught the value of property rights. When that lion and that bear rose up against and stole the lamb. Now, David's quite a man because I'd probably just let it have it. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> But he sure wasn't carrying a 12-gauge. He had a sling and a staff, and he says he, he said he caught it by the beard. He wasn't talking about a bobcat, people. He's talking about an Asiatic lion. They might not have a real big mane, but they still weigh every bit of 500 pounds. And if it wants to come and take a lamb, I'd say, you know what? You can have one. But here's what was in the mind, and this is what made David prudent. He knew that if he allowed that lion and that bear to take it today, that lion and that bear would come back to take another one tomorrow. That's a problem. He was prudent. He could see that because his father had enrolled him in the school of commission. And I encourage you parents to enroll your children in the school of commission because they're going to learn some valuable little lessons there that's going to help them fulfill their purpose for God. But there's another school. When David graduated from that one, he got enrolled in the classroom of courage. The classroom of courage. He begins to tell this story about that lion and that bear and these past victories that God had given him because he had been tried, he had been put under a trial and come through that thing and you want your children to face some trials and to face some battles while they're small and those little battles, the little lions and the little bears give them the confidence that they're going to need for the giants in life. I got news for you, parents. Your children are going to have to face some pretty big giants in life and you need to put something down in there that is biblical, that's from God to help them when they got to march out in front of that giant and face him down. I think so many times our children have not been given the right training and they're running from these giants. The giant of addiction is a bad giant. The giant of hardship. The giant of anger. The giant of jealousy. These are big, nasty giants. We need to teach our children by enrolling them in the classroom of courage. Not to be afraid. Fear will destroy an individual. And so David had the memory of past victories. And before there's a victory, there must be a battle. And before there's a battle, there must be lines drawn. And before the lines are drawn, there's got to be beliefs established. You just think about that. There is so much that can be taught in the classroom of courage about battles, about battle lines, and beliefs. Because what somebody believes dictates their behavior. 
are their emotions, and those emotions drive that behavior. Your memories are important. Memories of past victories are important. They can positively affect your future. But bad ones, they can negatively affect your future. Bad memories can have a negative impact on children. And I got news, parents. You need to protect your children. I've sat down with so many young people that have been hurt in some way in their youth. Sometimes their parents know about it. A lot of times they don't. And it's because their parent let them go stay with somebody they thought was okay and you didn't know what was going on at home. Let me tell you my dad's rule. They can come over and stay with you, but you're not staying with them. I don't know their mom and dad. I don't know them. And son, you don't know what goes on in people's homes. And he says, you're not old enough for me to break all that down for you. It's age-appropriate information, but you'll know because we'll have that talk someday. But for right now, you're going to learn to lean on me and my good judgment. You're not going over there to stay. Because negative memories can have a negative impact. I was working with a man one time. I will not say his name, not even under torture. And I knew he wasn't quite right. He was having some issues. And finally one day he broke down in my confidence and said that he had been, and he had went over to a friend's home. His mom and dad liked the people. He didn't because he thought something was wrong. And he was molested. And he was afraid to say anything because he didn't think his mom and dad or nobody believed him. He had lived with that all these years. And it was having a negative impact on his life. I promise you it does. Protect your children. Teach your children. Train your children. Love your children. There's one last school and we see it here. The classroom of confrontation. Now, I, I could have, I did have it called the classroom of conviction because you're going to have to train your children to have some conviction. That's things they're willing to die for. Things they're going to stand on and die for. And if you can't handle the lions and the bears in your life, you'll never handle the giants. There's one thing I want you to know about David. There's a couple things. Number one, his father gave him personal chores and responsibilities in the home and then held his feet to the fire to make sure they got done right. There is nothing wrong making your children clean their rooms to your standard. It's not their room, it's yours. They're just a steward of it. Same way with the cars, you buy them. You make sure they keep it up to your standard. You teach them and train them so they'll care about others and care about things. But, I, but the second thing I want you to get before we, we leave is David was not a runner. Did you catch that? David did not run from this confrontation. This was the classroom of confrontation. Now, you don't just enroll somebody in the classroom of confrontation. They're going to first have been in the classroom of commission. 
Second, they're going to have to have some small victories. So, uh, and they have to be in the classroom of courage to build them up. But then eventually they're going to have to face a giant. And if you have allowed them to run in the home, like run from discipline, not answer, you've not held them accountable to their actions, you've allowed them to lie, you've allowed them to sneak around, they will never graduate from the classroom of confrontation and they will be good for nothing the rest of their life. Let me tell you something, when the heat is on, it is a natural instinct bred into human beings to run, to run, run. We feel we're safe when we run from things. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to confront it. I don't want to deal with it. And that's wrong. You don't need to be a runner. You don't need to be afraid to confront things. Now, even somebody who has been in this classroom, it's still hard to confront these giants in life. And I do know what I'm talking about. It'll be hard to train yourself, it takes training, not to run. When everything inside of you says, run, run, you fool, run. David was not a runner. He was in the classroom of confrontation and he begins to develop a proper method. Go in the name of the Lord, verse 45. He comes to this Philistine in the name of the Lord. Number two, he takes action. He acted upon the truth of God's word. That's in verse 46. He was willing to die for that truth and he knew that this battle was the Lord's. And he trusted God, verse 47, for the victory. Knowing, now you need to get this, knowing that it might not have had a good outcome. David's confidence was not in the fact that he knew he could whip that giant. He knew that God could whip that giant and just maybe just maybe if he engaged it because he knew he was crying out against God, that giant was, and he was defying God and defying God's law, and he was coming to try to take a flock. That's why God said he was a great shepherd of Israel. He said, if you'll care for a little lamb, I know you'll care for my people. I'm telling you, there's something to this shepherd thing of the sheep. But he didn't run. You're going to want to run when you face some hard things in life. I've wanted to run. The hardest thing I've ever find, found myself trying to do is not run. Wow. I believe a lot of pastors run from conflict. They have a little rift come through the church. Things ain't, ain't right. Deacons don't like them. Something happens. Instead of confronting it, they run. You want to know what's going to happen? They're going to go to another church and it's all going to go good until that same scenario pop. That giant, you're going to have to kill it because he's going to pop up again. And they'll keep running and they keep running and every two to five years they keep running. Why? Because it's easy. 
they didn't make it through the classroom of confrontation. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. We need to train our children in the way that they should go. These are little things. And I challenge you to get in this chapter and meditate on things that I've missed. I did not exhaust this. I could have preached three or four messages out of all of this, but I chose not to. I wanted to streamline it and move on. David learned to lean on the Lord. And he was a greatest king Israel ever had. A mighty man. We would do well to prepare our children for the giants in life. And I would admonish you to enroll your children in the classroom of commission. Get it started. Get it started soon. Give them responsibility. Give them chores. Give them purpose. We're raising a generation. All they want to do is lay on a couch and play a video game. It pleasures themselves. And, they, and David's off time. I told you I'd go on and I'm done. David played an instrument. Did you catch that? So David had leisure time. And that time he filled with playing an instrument because he could be a blessing to Saul when the evil spirit from God come to him. Learn how to use your downtime wisely. Be constructive. Teach your children to be constructive with their off time. Try to, I didn't say eliminate all video games. I'm a video, I like video games. I've always had a soft spot for them, but let me tell you something. That's a very dangerous road to allow your child to go down without restraints. Parents, don't do like I did. Don't feel bad about saying, you're only going to play that for about 45 minutes, and then you're going to go do something else. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And there ain't nothing wrong with your kids playing them in front of you because you might not know what kind of game they're playing. I remember my son bringing home a game. I, I helped him buy it. And I said, you, you play that out here in front of me. And I'm watching this game. And he was dragging little old ladies out of cars and beating them and stealing their car. I said, Nathan, is that you? He said, yeah. I said, Nathan, what are you doing, son? He said, this is the game. I got to steal this car, take it to a chop shop so I can make money to, to go into. I said, oh, not in this house you ain't. I said, we don't do that stuff. He said, dad, it's just a game. I don't care. It's off. Give me that game. And I threw it away. Ain't playing that one. It wasn't right. It was crossing moral boundaries. It ain't right. I don't know why I got off into that. Teach your children to learn to do something constructive, work with their hands, play an instrument. They can be a blessing to others. Let's all stand.